Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, where we are afforded front row seats to one of the most interesting conversations in the entire book and Bible. I was born when I was 41 years old, at least spiritually speaking. I was first born into a family with first-generation Christian parents. And I had a drug problem from the day I was born. I was drugged to church three or four times a week (laughs) my whole life growing up as my first-generation Christian parents were trying to, to uh, raise us in a godly fashion and, 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 and grow deeper in their faith in Christ. I went through every Sunday school class we had and heard several dozen Bible stories every year from various ladies who served so faithfully in the church. When my mom told me I needed to get baptized, I thought, sure, why not? It's a little warm outside. I don't mind dipping in the pool. I learned most of the popular hymns, attended a lot of the potlucks down in the basement like every good Southern Baptist does. And if you had asked me at 18 years old if I was a Christian, I would have said, yeah, sure. I think so. Yeah. Now, I couldn't have told you when it happened. I couldn't have told you what the process was. But my mom said I was a Christian, and so I was. And my mom and dad, however well-meaning, didn't really know what that was for me. Over the next two decades following high school, I rode the roller coaster of trying to live up to Christian standards as I heard about in the Bible and I began to see in my parents as they grew in their own faith. But sooner or later, I would fail miserably and then I would feel guilty of having disappointed both God my parents, and myself. It wasn't until I was 41, with my life falling apart, that I finally hit rock bottom in the middle of the night. I fell to my knees in the darkness of my bedroom and cried out from my broken heart to God. And I asked Him to take what was left of my life and to fix it. That night I reached the end of my rope, the bottom of my pit, And I turned and looked up to Jesus for the first time in my life. It was my decision. It was my choice. I asked God to forgive me and forgive my sins and invited Him to take what was left of my life and to use it for His glory, however He thought best. You see, I was born again at 41. After having performed many miracles in Jerusalem during Passover week, we read this last week, Passover had just taken place, and then the next sentence in the Bible says, and Jesus went around doing many miracles. We don't know what they are, but He was doing miracles in Jerusalem. He had just chased out the cheating salesmen and money changers from the temple courtyard of the Gentiles in the shadow of the temple, God's house. One of the most prominent of all of Israel's teachers had tracked him down now 
and requested to have a meeting with this miracle-working rabbi who many were whispering about and referring to as the possible Messiah. At this point, Nicodemus was on a mission to investigate whether or not Jesus met the qualifications of Messiah. And while Nicodemus likely set up this meeting with Jesus in order to vet his credentials and to vet his teachings, it's Nick's knowledge and beliefs that would be called into the forefront on this night in question. To set up this historic and epic encounter, which is about to unfold right before us as we read word for word as it takes place, it's important that we have a little background on this seeker of wisdom that pursues a meeting with Jesus. He's from the house of the most powerful in Israel, the house of the Pharisees. Today we're going to look at these two men. We've been looking at Jesus. Now we're going to look at Nick. I know we're a little familiar. We've, I've talked in, about him a long time. So let's look at this man. We're, um, first we see no, uh, man number one, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. He's the teacher of Israel. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. We're about to meet a man who was as confused with his faith as I believe I was in my 20s and 30s. Nicodemus, which in the Greek means conqueror of people, was the top Pharisee of all Pharisees. He had memorized vast amounts of Scripture to get where he was. He knew all the laws, and he probably kept them better than just about anybody in Israel. Scripture reveals Nick's three titles. Letter A, and if you'd like to take notes, they're on the back of your bulletin. I encourage you to do that so you can refer to them later. Letter A, we see he was a man of the Pharisees. We see that right from the beginning. Verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. The word for Pharisee is translated as separated one or separated out from. They lived apart from the world. They lived apart from sin. They believed by trying to keep the, the, uh, the commandments, the hundreds of commandments that they had. Many of these men were descendants of Daniel or one of his three faithful friends. And while they may have begun as followers of God, somewhere along the way, they became a religious political party with way too much power. They had taken a few dozen laws in the Scripture and added hundreds more in an effort <clears throat> to appease God and keep their thumb on their countrymen as well. This kept them in power, and they ruled over with a little or no mercy their fellow Jews. So we see Nick is, was known as a man of the Pharisees, and then letter B, he was known as the ruler of the Jews. The ruler of the Jews. Again, right from verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Until the Jews were exiled to Babylonia, uh, Israel had been ruled by kings. Now, there came a time when they looked over their fence and they saw that other countries had kings and how powerful these other kings looked. They thought that was pretty cool. And they decided that they wanted their own king. We want our own king. And they began to, 
to chant and to cry out and say, we want a king. We want to be like all the other countries. It's a front, that was an affront to God. God was their king. Why would they ask for a man to be king? Careful what you ask for. God gave him Saul. And Saul was, well, he was all kinds of trouble, a troubled man, and didn't have a great reign. God took mercy on them when they cried out. And he said, okay, now I'm going to show you who I would have picked. Number one, God was their king, but if you want a man king, I'm going to show you what, who you should have. And he picked someone completely opposite of Saul. Saul, they think, was somewhere around 6'1", 6'2". The average Jew was somewhere about 5'5". Five, five. So Saul stuck out above, he was head and shoulders above everybody. I'm sure he was a good-looking dude. He looked probably, you know, a hulk. Probably worked out three, four times, you know, a week. But when it came time to fight, where was Saul when Goliath is making fun of him on the battlefield? He's up in his tent. He ain't going out there. Mm-mm. Little shepherd boy shows up, says, I'll fight him. And they all sit, laughed at him. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, God would pick David, the little shepherd boy, to show him. It ain't about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. This young man took it to him and slayed the giants. And he would do that over his life. But they had, and then of course after David we see Solomon. So there was this line of kings and then you go into the, the whole line of kings over Israel and then there's a split between the northern and southern. I, I won't get into that, but they were ruled by kings until they were taken into captivity in Babylon. Seventy years there in Babylon. Now they get to come back into their country after 70 years. They get to return home. But they don't get a king. Why? Because Persia's ruling. They're not going to allow a king in a country. So what does Persia do? They put regents and governors in there to kind of oversee the Jews. And of course, when Rome uh, you know, takes over the world, basically, the known world, they defeat Persia, and Rome inherits all these countries, and so they put their own little dictator in there. We'll see him later on in John when we meet Pilate. He's the governor there. And uh, Israel developed a religious political group within that structure, which the Jews referred to as the Sanhedrin Council, and had developed a lot of power by the time Jesus arrived on the scene. Now, King Herod was a king over Israel, but he was really just a paper uh, tiger. He was a puppet of Rome and did what Rome told him to do. And the Jews didn't like him. They largely hated him because he was only part Israelite. So letter A, Nick was known as a man of the Pharisees. B, he's known as the ruler of the Jews. And here's letter C, he was known as the teacher of Israel. So you see, we're just, we're kind of ferreting out his credentials. Who is this guy that we're about to read about? He's a teacher of Israel. We're going to skip down to verse 10. Don't get upset. We're not skipping verses. We're going to come back and pick right up. But looking ahead in verse 10, Jesus refers to him as and asks him a question. And are you the teacher of Israel? He he confirms that he is. 
The writer here, John, uses the definite article in the Greek. It's important to know uh, Greek and how these sentences fall together. But uh, you can get this from a great study Bible. I like David Jeremiah's study Bible. It's pretty amazing. But there are, there are many. I've got several and enjoy going through them. So it's important to know the sentence structure in the Greek. Jesus was making a point here. It's the definite article A. He says, are you, a, uh, uh, you, are you the teacher, not a teacher? Do you notice that? Are you the, te- the teacher of Israel? So he's the top dog here. What he's saying is, this guy should know the Bible very, or the Scripture very well. So why did Nicodemus come at night? Well, that's a great question. Scripture doesn't tell us why he chose the cover of night to meet with Jesus. I'll give you two strong possibilities, though, that I, I think. Number one, he was probably embarrassed to be seen with this man who was teaching against some of the things the religious leaders held very near and dear to their hearts. And he's going to go and speak with him. So he may have wanted to meet Jesus under the cover of dark. Number two, Jesus was a difficult man to have a quiet and deep conversation with due to his schedule. He'd been doing miracles. He's being uh, sought after. And he was probably, it was probably very difficult to say, hey, can, I, can we just sit down and talk alone? And so he probably asked for a night meeting to be able to speak to Jesus. Neither, neither idea is right or wrong. And, and to be truthful with you, I think it's a little of both. That's my opinion. Nicodemus was seeking the truth about who Jesus was, and and the Lord answered him by using uh, four analogies of salvation. Jesus knows what's on Nicodemus' heart. We're going to see that in just a minute. He he knows that Nicodemus' real question here is, are you the Messiah we've been awaiting? Are you the one that's going to bring salvation? And Jesus is going to show him that what Nicodemus and all the Jews wanted Uh, or believe they wanted, is not what Jesus is bringing. Four analogies of salvation. One, he's going to talk about rebirth. Two, the wind. Three, a snake. And illumination, number four. Let's begin with number one. Salvation is like a rebirth. It's like a rebirth. Verse two. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Who's we? Well, him, himself, and he's including probably all the other Pharisees. We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So right away, he's complimenting Jesus. They sit down. They have this conversation. This is how Nicodemus begins the conversation. Hey, we understand you had to come from God. Man, you're healing the sick. You're giving sight to the blind. Deaf men are hearing. You've got to be from God. But listen to This is interesting. Jesus doesn't say, well, thank you very much. Appreciate that, that you acknowledge that. No. Why? Because Jesus reads the mind of Nicodemus. He knows his heart. He knows that's not why we're meeting. Let's just cut to the chase here. Jesus answered and he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
That must have been on Nicodemus' heart when he sat down. The Greek word for again is anothen in the Greek, and it has two meanings. One, it means again, like your Bible probably says, but the other uh, translation for the word is from above. And I believe it's both here. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. So let me read to you this scripture. Unless one is born again from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why would Jesus pick this word? Well, number one, um, back then, this born again was not a completely new concept because that when they looked at Gentiles that were coming into the faith, into the Jewish faith, they were born again. Those were the, the Gentile dogs, they called them, the unclean ones. The ones you don't get close to. The one you go across the street from if you're going to have to walk by. And so, yeah, I understand born again because they're, you mean, you're talking about them, right? Because we're your favorite people. And Jesus is going, uh-uh. You need to be born again from above. Oh, well, it's not about keeping the law? Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. My whole life, I've, I've tried to keep the law. I've done pretty good. I'm 99% good. This is messing with his mind. Nicodemus was familiar with the physical birth, of course, but for salvation to come, Jesus was telling him that he must be born again from above a second time, referring to a spiritual birth, a second birth, which comes from above in order to be brought into the kingdom of God. He said you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born a second time. This has blown Nicodemus's mind. Everything he understood is just blown away. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Can he and be born? Nick is confused here, and he's trapped by his training. He went through the Pharisee, the Pharisee schools. He's been trained by the best. He's become the best. And this is not what he, his training spoke to him. So Jesus, in love, mercy, and grace, he, he says, okay, let's broaden the example that I'm giving you. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Some miss the point here completely, like misguided Nicodemus, and, and will say to, uh, and believe that in order to be saved, you must be baptized in water. Um, I've had a few people um, confront me on Facebook about this. Pastor, you've got to tell them, if, unless they're baptized, they're not Christians. Well, no, that's, and they throw this verse out. This isn't what Jesus, to completely miss the whole concept that Jesus, he's talking about flesh, and he's talking about the Spirit. He's talking about water, and he's talking about the Spirit. They're two different things. It's not both. The Old Testament, how did those believers... They weren't water baptized. How did they come into the faith? The thief on the cross. How did he come into faith? 
It's not about water. It's about your heart being changed. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what Jesus is trying to sow into Nicodemus's life here so that he grasps this concept. It's been said, born once and die twice. Why? Because you'll die, if you're only born once, then you'll die twice, a physical death, and you'll die a spiritual death after this life is over, when judgment comes. But if you're born twice, you only have to die once, and maybe not even then, if Jesus comes back before we die. Personally, I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. <laughs> so you may not have to die at all, but if you do, you only have to die once, and then you have eternal life. So four analogies of, of salvation that, that Jesus is trying to explain to this powerful man in Israel, the teacher of Israel. Salvation is like a rebirth. And number two, salvation is like the wind. Jesus continues explaining, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can, these, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Now, if your Bible's like mine, that we is capitalized. We're talking about the Trinity here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. He's speaking of himself. Imagine these two men for a moment sitting perhaps on top of a, of a house, a, a patio. That's what they did back then. They still do it today in the Middle East. It gets so hot over there during the day that the houses just get so miserable to be inside. That when the sun goes down, they like to go up on top of their homes, kind of the roof, uh, kind of a patio on top of a roof. And then the breeze picks up and the temperature comes down, of course. They like to be outside to enjoy that. That's what I picture Nicodemus is doing here. They're up on this roof and they're speaking. When suddenly, a gentle wind sent by Jesus, because we know he controls the wind and the waves, he's going to talk about this wind. I just imagine this wind coming by and Jesus making the statement that he just made. The wind comes. You don't know where it comes from. In fact, you don't know where it's going. But yet, you feel its presence. You understand there's a wind but you don't know where it's going. De Jesus described the wind as a force you cannot see coming or going. The spirit that comes into a person at salvation and takes up residency is neither seen with the eyes nor heard with one's ears, and yet it is the most powerful force known to mankind that we can experience. It is God coming into your life and my life at salvation. The Spirit speaks to the unbeliever and convicts. That's, just, that's how a person comes to Christ. When the Spirit begins to, to knock down the walls that are in the way, when the, the Spirit convicts 
a sinner like me in the middle of the night, and I cried out. He, he was just saying, you've been a fraud all these years, Ben. You've not come to Christ. You've not come to me. You've, you've checked these boxes, but that's not coming to Christ. Going to church won't make you a Christian. Your spouse can't make you a Christian. They can't grandfather you in. Your parent, you know, I believe my, my parents are a Christian. I must be one. For sure. I inherited it. No, that's not how it works. You choose for yourself. And when that happens, the Spirit of God comes inside and He takes up residency in your life. And He begins to convict and to speak. He guides. He protects our hearts and minds. Don't look at that. Hey, don't go over there anymore. Those people aren't going to be good for you. Stay out of that place. That's only going to end in heartache. The Spirit, you ever done that? Don't do that. Ben, mm-mm, that's not good. Ben, that guy cut you off. You need to turn your Christian music up a little louder. <laughs> yeah, and he begins to change you and me. And, and as you grow in wisdom and knowledge, you begin to sense him better. And the more you sense him, the more you draw closer. And he goes, yes, come to me. Yes, a little closer. Yes. And we begin to grow in our faith. This Pharisee, Nicodemus, he knew the facts of Scripture, but not the truth, and certainly not its application. And Jesus is trying to explain this. He's trying to broaden this. It's not about the law, Nicodemus. I came to fulfill the law. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.